0: been thinking about this lady. This is what I suppose Welcome to the teaching ministry of Calvary Chapel, South London You can visit us at calvarychapelsouthlondon.org I right So I'm on my knees for understanding The more the world I see, more I see. Leave off in it, but I'm no diamond ring i got a lot to learn, so I'm this. Self um, to obviously August no stranger to obviously teaching in August um, due to the downtime, but not necessarily downtime for the work of the Lord. But um, obviously, when when the opportunity to come and teach, um, there's always sometimes struggling to find a subject. There's so much you can you can teach on, and obviously. Been a bit more involved in the church. It's so easy to kind of like be lost in many different ideas. But um, strange enough, this year, this time round, um, only one real message really came to mind and real, you know, to heart. And it was something I taught last year. We went on the Wednesday study groups, um, which have now become the community groups. We've done the book of Proverbs. The book of Proverbs um, proved an interesting challenge to teach um, because it's not really a narrative, it's not really um, the kind of book that we kind of easily go through, though we like obviously reading Proverbs. But um, it was, one of the sessions I taught, which was on Proverbs 18, which is the one I'm teaching on today, became um, something I really wanted to kind of revisit, and obviously time... I uh, just needed the time and opportunity to do so. And we are revisiting that today. Um, I'm not bringing last year's notes. I've updated it a little bit, you know. Um, so please, please be aware that it's, 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 a, it's a revision. Not much has changed, but there's a lot more I can, I can kind of add to it. And I'm hopefully gonna get through all of it. Okay, let me do a quick intro before we pray, and then we get into the text, and then obviously we can hopefully learn something. This is going to be very teaching orientated, so for those of you who want uh, something a bit more preachy, sorry, Um, you know, I really want you to understand this is going to be a a great study. Um, Solomon, obviously the, the author of Proverbs, we don't get into debates about, obviously, various scholars who say, oh, I don't think he wrote it and all this, you know. Proverbs is not one of those books, by the way, but everybody pretty much knows that Solomon wrote it. But the bottom line is, is that Solomon wrote it. And the book of Proverbs, its real theme is basically the society. And really, when you come and you read in the book of First Kings chapter 3, there's a prayer that Solomon makes to God. And he prays and he's, you know, it's after his coronation, he's now on the throne. And now the Lord presents himself in what is classified as a vision. And he says to him, Solomon, what do you want? What can I do for you? And Solomon asks for wisdom to judge God's great people. And so this is what he says, Lord, I don't know how to do this job, basically. And it was interesting because Solomon didn't perceive the idea of being a king like his way of just being able to sit on a throne and do whatever he wants. He saw it as a job, as a role that he had to fulfill. And that he was going to be the pinnacle of justice within the society. And that's what Solomon prayed for. He said, Lord, help me to help my people. And we hear that God answered his prayer and made him wise like none other. Be aware that Jesus is wiser than Solomon because he says so. He says that a wiser than Solomon is here. But there was a wisdom in governing the people on a whole, society as a whole, that was quite interesting. Interesting. Of that time, it's amazing that when you look at some of the ancient cultures, uh, you look at the Greek culture, you look at the Roman culture, they had great writers as well who wrote a vision for society. Cicero wrote for society when he, as a Roman, an ancient Roman writer. And Cicero wrote this, he said, I can't imagine the walls of Rome being up whilst the people inside it are immoral. Society has to be a moral place, it has to be a place of justice. Plato also wrote Republic, where he wrote about the ideals of society. Everything needs to come together. And Solomon, numerous years before these men wrote, wrote his own idea of society, and it's the book of Proverbs. And Proverbs is not random sayings here and there, there is an actual coherent thought going through. And as I teach that to you today, I hopefully you'll get to see some of what that coherent thought today. So my title, very loosely titled, is The Ideal Society. And this is what Proverbs does. Now obviously Proverbs 18 doesn't cover everything, but I think it covers a lot of bases. So as we go through it, let it go through you, and then hopefully let's get some application going in our lives. All right? Okay, so let's pray. Father, we thank you. Thank you for this day. Thank you, Lord, because we can lift our eyes to you, the maker, Lord, of the mountain. I cannot climb. And today, Lord, I pray, um, as every man, any, any person has had to pray before, Lord, help me to accomplish the task, Lord God, which I know I'm unworthy to do, Lord, but only your spirit, God, can teach. So we thank you, Lord, for the wisdom and the grace of your spirit, Lord, that enables us to do things Um, exceedingly lord god above our ability lord touch your people teach your people today lord i pray Um, through the limited capacity i give lord i thank you um, that you have been gracious to me in knowledge and wisdom father i thank you for your people as well again thank you for the spirit though, lord that dwells amongst them lord that will also teach them and hopefully lord god will be the true teacher for them today i pray amen amen all right i'm not going to read proverbs through um, time will not permit me to do 24 um, verses, so. But I will break it through and we'll go down. So, if you can turn your book, your Bibles, to Proverbs 18. I want to begin with the first two verses, which present the first, the first set of what they call a synthetic structure. It means it's a progression, something that connects together. They're not random verses, they work together. It works together as a whole. When you look at verse 1 and you look at verse 24, the first thing I'm going to say to you is that there's an antithesis. There is the man that isolates himself, and there's the man who has too many friends. So already I want to introduce you to the fact that this is a coherent thought. And everything in between it is Solomon's way of breaking down what society ought to be like. The isolationist isn't the ideal for society, and the person who has too many friends isn't the ideal for society. But at the same time, it's not found in balance. It's found in a whole new person. It's not about spending a little bit of time for yourself and having not so many friends. It's found in having the right friends and about knowing that you cannot completely cut yourself off. Verse 1 and 2 says this. A man who isolates himself seeks his own desire. He rages against all wise judgment. A fool has no delight in understanding, but in expressing his own heart. Our first set. The person who, who has come to the point where he realizes that the only person they really respect is themselves. Proverbs 14:14 14, 14 says, the backslider in heart is full of his own ways. But the good man looks up. The only thing I can really kind of comment and say to you in light of this is that the person who believes that All understanding, all knowledge really has to come through what they've only experienced is the fool, which is going to be broken down as you come further, further into the text. It's going to start to talk about the fool who talks their own mind and speaks the kind of things that eventually want to basically make people hit them. But this is what happens, and this is why eventually they isolate themselves because, at the end of the day, once you've understood that the person's a fool, you don't listen to them anymore. And then they retreat and they go, I'm not going to that church anymore. I'm not working in that place anymore. I don't want to be around those people because they don't respect me. No one listens to me. If you talk sense, people will listen. But the whole idea is understanding that there needs to be a revelation. There needs to be somebody or something outside of yourself that can speak into you and speak into your experiences so that you don't interpret them wrong. Because everybody will end up colliding into each other when they think that what I experience and what I know is the only thing worth knowing. Our experiences can deceive us. And this is ultimately what Solomon is saying. Let's begin at the point where people don't take their own selves too seriously. But they're able to be teachable and taught. To delight in your own understanding is that point where you're only really interested in your own thing. You've got to understand that there are things that you don't really think are interesting right now and it might even be that sometimes sitting down and reading your Bible is not the most interesting thing you can do in the middle of the week. But there is a point where you give something a chance and we talk outside even the realm of Christianity here where you give something a chance, all of a sudden you find that there are things that you actually like. We do this with food, we do this with, let me go to a Zumba class, let me go and do something I've never done before. And all of a sudden it's like, ah, wow, I found a new passion and it's a new thing. And this is what it's talking about. I don't delight in just doing the things that I grew up with. Well, I, mummy only made it this way. Let's try a new meal today. And this is what life is about. It's growing in these experiences and taking off the narrow vision that we have, which is, I just want to do my own thing. I I already know what I like. The The whole idea of maturity is that we're actually moving forward in life. And this is what we need to do. And we need to grow up. And this is where the fool now reprises later on, and we start to understand them a little bit more. Because their isolation becomes something where a fool's own company becomes something that they, he even despises himself. Or they despise themselves. And deal with three. Three, four, and five really are together. But I want to deal with three first. And so I'll just read three. When the wicked comes, contempt comes also. And with dishonor comes reproach. Now, the way this is written is that it's still talking about the person of another, a particular stream who's in them, who's, who's full of themselves. It's not going on to a new thing, it's not a new theme. Solomon is now progressing. This is what he's saying. He's saying that there is a person when we. Let me give you the punchline first. Wicked people, people who like doing wicked things, don't really like you. Because that's what he says. When the wicked comes, contempt comes also. The reason why they seem like they like you is because their publicist tells them to be nice and approachable. And this is what we're talking about. We're talking about the stars that we see amongst us today. the The people that we put on pedestals. He says that the wicked people don't really like anybody other than themselves. As we go back to verse 1 and 2, they isolate. They don't really, the only reason why they come out in publicity is to the public is because they have to. A choice, a choice given, they'll just tell you their peace of mind and be done with it. Because this is what this is, the actual, this is what the actual Hebrew says. That when they come, it's like a coherent thought. It's like one with the other, smoke with fire. He says that wicked people don't like anybody. Contempt comes, and it builds it up by saying, as with dishonor comes reproach. If you dishonor something, if somebody has come to a place where they're dishonorable, all of a sudden people don't like them anymore. He's saying it's synonymous. It's a, it's a continuous theme. So it's saying that the ideal society, the ideal citizen, doesn't make heroes out of wicked people. Now obviously, there's a point where we have to understand that invariably we are all wicked people. So how do we define a wicked person? We define somebody who is wicked, who doesn't remove themselves, who doesn't understand, who doesn't show any remorse for the fact that they are a wicked person. It's very, very different. The person who goes out there, well, yes, I cheat on my, 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 my spouse and I, 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 I take as much money as I can, I don't really care who it's coming from, all the rest of it. And then they, they say, but that's how it is. The kind of, again, for want of a better person, the 50 cent mentality where it's like, get rich and die trying. These are not the kind of people that we should have as heroes. They're they're, they're not our heroes because they don't like us. 50 Cent says, I'm coming for your money. You buy my album. And this is what he does. This is what people promote. The wicked people should not be our heroes. We deal with people who have understood that, you know what, I'm a sinner saved by grace. These are our heroes. Hebrews 11 is our heroes. And as Hebrews 11 progresses into 12, he says, here's Christ, our ultimate hero. But the thing about it, again, when you look at the Bible, because these people have no pictures, we're not the kind of people we can obviously hear or worship. And there's something to be said about that. There's something to be said about living in a time, or Jesus coming into a time where, and coming into a culture when, making pictures, when obviously if he came into a Roman or a Greek society, there would probably be some kind of, um, some kind of picture or some bust of him. But he comes into a culture where, there is, where they have not tolerated any images to be made. Something to be said about that, but it's not for today. Okay, four and five. The words of a man's mouth are deep waters. The wellspring of wisdom is a flowing brook. It is not good to show partiality to the wicked or to overthrow the righteous in judgment. So this is what you've got to understand. This is what hes he's now progressed it to saying, it's not a good thing and this is one of the things that it was a challenge to do in Proverbs because I had read it with my own understanding before and as I got taught a little bit about how to understand it a little bit of how the Hebrew works the whole idea of deepness in this sense it's a negative thing he's like saying and like I said to you that people tell you things wicked people tell you things that make you seem like they're they're with you but the bottom line says the deepness of their water means that what they really mean is actually hidden The truth of what they're actually saying is something that's actually hidden. And that's what the deepness is. It's like you look at it and you think that you can put your foot in it, but you put your foot in it and you sink right down. That's the whole idea. You can't trust on their words. Their words give the illusion of shallowness, but really, they're not really saying what they're saying on the surface. They're saying something entirely different. This is also looking at the wicked person. But he said the wellspring, and this is what they call an antipical. It brings a contrast. But he says that the person, a good person, is a wellspring. It means their words are accessible. You can rely upon it. You can get it. Like a spring that comes and gushes up, you can actually take off that. See the contrast between a body of water that you can step into and then lose yourself? To somebody's words who you can come up and you can put to your mouth and say, I actually can take, I can actually fathom this water. I can take it upon myself. I can actually receive it without losing my life. And that's the contrast he brings. In verse 5 he says, to show partiality to the wicked. And this is why I say what I said before. Because the bottom line is that within... And this is where, where Solomon is looking at the courts of justice as well. So there's many different settings for society. There is the home, there is the church, and then there is the government, society as a whole. And he changes the perspective of all the different things. Now he's looking at the courtroom. And he says, to show partiality to the wicked. And this is what we're saying. We, we some often see it, even within our own culture, with with British justice, which is a good justice system, to an extent. In comparison to so many, we see rich people, famous people, getting away with murder. Because they're famous, because they're powerful. And he's looking at the same person and says, we should not be making heroes of them and we should not be favouring them, especially in faith against a righteous plaintiff. A righteous person is standing there, but because this person's famous and popular but wicked, we prefer them. And this is why recently, as they've reviewed it, and it's obviously, it will show up as long as the, you know, until the cows come home, the whole idea that people have looked around and said, you know what, our justice system actually favours the criminal. And that's the truth. We've come to the point where the victim has to do so much, has to go through so much barrels, because they hold people's records and they say, well, we're not going to tell them that because that will make the trial biased. So you're there trying to prove someone um, has stolen from you, they have a record as long as your arm of stealing, but their lawyer says, Well, you can't use that because if he goes to court, that would be biased. That's where the justice system is right now. We favour the criminal. And this is what happens. So when a righteous person does stand in front of a, 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 a jury and a judge, it's very hard for them to get justice. And so Solomon speaks very, very very profoundly about the whole idea, the position that wicked people hold within a society. An ideal society cannot have wicked people as heroes. Just as I said what Cicero said, a non-believer said about Rome, as long as we hold villains in high esteem, we will not progress. They will use us against ourselves. All right, six, seven, eight, and nine. Again, another four. Now we go back to the wicked person as a fool. A fool's lips enter into contention, and his mouth calls for blows. A fool's mouth is his destruction and his lips are the snare of his soul. The words of a talebearer are like tasty trifles and they go down into the innermost belly, body. Sorry. He who is slothful in his work is brother to him who is a great destroyer. You know, dealing with the first two verses, um, it's not hard to kind of, Transliterate the fact that foolish people say foolish things, and as I said, it brings to the point where you just want to smack people. You know, I say that straight because that's just the reality of it. That's just such a dumb thing to say. It's such an out of place thing to say. It's the kind of thing that people say because they have no understanding. Which, as we go back to the problem, the the, the Earlier verses is exactly it. They have no understanding. They don't try to consider someone else's perspective. They don't try to consider where someone else is coming from. They just say things. To the point where he says, where on earth did that come from? And that's why Solomon is just saying it as it is. He says, it just asks us for blows. And he's saying it's to the point where it's destructive. It's not helpful. It's breaking things down. Because at the end of the day, we listen to comedians today and all the rest of it, and we're listening to, the, we're listening to fools nearly all of our lives. To the point where we actually say, you know what, it's quite funny really. <laughs> <laughs> you know? That's the reality. We'll listen to the Chris Rocks and, you know, Mike McIntyres of this world, and we're like, going, well, you know, funny but it's true you know it's true but the bottom line is they're saying things they ought not to say and we find it funny because we think that way too and they're just revealing the own dark and private of our own mind and that's why they call it black comedy dark comedy black humor But the bottom line is when they're they're berating a, a disabled person, it really calls for blows. But we find it funny. It's a sneer to the soul, and that's the reason why I say we can be drawn in by a foolish person's words. It's a snare to your soul, meaning a snare is something that a person puts in the middle of a jungle, a forest, wherever the, the hunter is hunting, to try and catch somebody. And the bottom line is that the fool probably doesn't even know what they're doing, but ultimately, the work of evil is at hand, and they're the ones who are laying the snares because the bottom line, they want you to talk about things and laugh about things you ought not to. So as it progresses into verse eight, the words of a towel are like tasty trifles. Now this really actually talks to me because I love trifle. <coughs> I'll be honest with you, to the point where I mean me and Mark you have this discussion where I have to I have to buy the singular portions because I think the big one is like for one sitting. Yeah. Uh, so I really I have to buy the smaller portions because and then I, I eat one at a time. But the original word, is, it's also translated titbits, but I like the fact that it says that like, tasty trifles because now it speaks to me. It's like it says, because when somebody comes with a bit of juicy gossip, that's how you feel. Like, wow, let me hear what's going on. And that's how I feel about trifle. And this is no joke, trifle is a big deal to me. A big deal. I will stop at Sainsbury's to pick up a trifle if I've had a hard day. And it makes a huge difference. You know, and so it really speaks, you know, and so it's like, and but that's how it is. It's like somebody's got a nice, sweet, someone's got something that you like, and they, and when they speak to you, it doesn't feel like you're hearing gossip, does it? It feels like you're hearing a good little story. It's like someone's offering you a cake, and you're like, oh, let me, let me sit down and listen. Oh, wait a wait, wait Let me get some coffee to you. Let me get some tea. And then you're sitting down, Speak. it's crazy. But that's how it is. We want to set up the sea. It doesn't look like we're talking about gossip anymore. We're just having tea. But the thing like, and why it's likened onto food, and this is again, the way Solomon is interpreting it, is like it says, because it goes down into you. The thing is, whoever you're you're speaking about, you are now judging them. And as we go down into this text, we're going to see that now your opinion is being shaped by something that you shouldn't have heard. Now you're prone to start judging people with information you ought not to have. And this is the issue. The little bit of words, just like that trifle goes in and satisfies the soul, you now actually feel quite at home. And it's now a part of your inner organs. And this is what he's saying. It's now a part of your makeup. You've absorbed it. You're now taking the proteins and the nutrients. Not that there's any in trifle. But you're taking that into you and you are now being sustained by it. It's now part of your diet. You know what they say? You are what you eat. And you're eating the words. It's also going to go in this. You started to see how Proverbs is not about random little things. He's teaching us. About the way we make particular people stand out in society. Okay. He who is slothful. Now this is just about laziness. Now people think that because you just get on with it and you're actually doing it, that... People should just be quiet. Just shut up. I'm doing it. And that's the idea that has been promoted here. This is what he's saying. It's like we're still dealing with the fool. He's like saying, I'm getting on with it. I'm doing it. It might take me all day to sweep the front room, but I'm doing it. The whole idea is like saying that he who is slothful in the work, he who takes their time to the point where they're doing shoddy work, he says that it's just the same as if somebody came around and just started wrecking everything with a hammer. People see this, we see this all the time with stuff that is made shoddily within very, very cheap factories. You've got it and it looks spanking brand new for the first couple of weeks and after that it just starts to deteriorate is it that shoddy work basically is just destroying it's going to be destroyed sooner or later but the thing about it, it will be destroyed once you're confident on it the difference between the destroyer, at least you know it's destroyed it's already rubbish but a slothful person, a person who is lazy in their work is basically a brother to a great destroyer it's the same thing, that's what Solomon is saying but primarily, if you look at the context, it's talking about words. You know, as we relate it to some of the things that even um, Paul said about people who are busybodies, he said that they've got they go around and they talk to housewives. They're lazy. They're not working. Paul equated this to ministers who went around teaching after he had teached somewhere to just teach them to go back into Judaism. And he says to them, especially in Second Corinthians, he says, they ask for money from you, don't they? Yeah, they want to pay and they want to sleep and they want everything. They want to be put up in the best hotels. And he says, I don't ask you for any money. He says they look for people, they look for wives, they look for specifically women at home, and they go and they go into their houses and they start talking to them. Lazy people. Paul says, "You don't eat, don't work. If you don't work, don't eat." And this is, a con- this is the idea of somebody who walks around who wants to spin a yarn rather than actually get on with something. They've got five minutes to tell you a story and you've got five minutes to go and put together a job application. Slothful in his work. These people will destroy you in the end. The next three is 10, 11, and 12. This is what... In in Hebrew, in the Hebrew structure, they have what they call a kaiastic structure. This is a little bit of teaching. Please don't shut off. It will help you. The kaiastic structure basically is that you have a beginning, the middle, and an end. You have kind of what you call a peak. It's like, you know... Boy meets girl, boy loses girl, boy finds girl, and they are in love. It's that kind of thing. You look at the book of of Ruth, it's like a chiastic structure. You know, there was a good situation, it turns bad, and then it gets good again. And they teach that way because they're trying to say that life sometimes you have to go through some hell to get to somewhere good. See that in David, David's there, happy as a shepherd boy. He then comes to the palace, but then he gets... Um, runs away because Saul wants to kill him and then eventually becomes king. But then Absalom wants to take over. It's a continuous chiastic structure. It says that bad things happen for good things to happen. you know. And within the midst of this, we have what we call the central text. Now we see the ideal person, the person that runs to God. So before God hasn't been mentioned, we're just hearing all this stuff about how bad everything is how bad people are, how bad people act. Now, all of a sudden it comes into verse 10 and says, the name of the Lord is a strong tower. Excellent song, classic. The righteous run into it, run to it, and are safe. Or lifted up higher is also can be interpreted. But the strong, the, 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 the strong tower obviously in, in most ancient cities and medieval cities was a place that was in the middle of the city. There's a big tower and normally the citizens that couldn't fend for themselves will run into it. They'll lock the door and in that, it will be the hardest place to reach because the soldiers outside of you will still be fighting. But in the midst of it, you would be safe from arrows and fire and the likes of it, whatever they were using and ballistics. And so you'd go into this tower in the center of your of your village or the center of your city and you'd be safe. And so obviously they're using a narrative that we can, they could understand for their context, but obviously it's somewhat lost on us now because we don't have anything like that. We have, I guess the equivalent will be, for the rich people, um, your safe room. You go in there and you go in there and it's all protected and you can call the police and you've got little video cameras. Again, most of us don't have that, I'm assuming. <laughs> but that's the equivalent. You run into this place and you are safe. And this is what he said. This is what the ideal person is. The ideal person in this society runs into the Lord. And the name of the Lord. And it's interesting that as you go through the word, you find that there are all these names for the Lord. Jehovah Jireh, Jehovah Nisi, Jehovah Shalom. Everyone that had this great encounter with God all of a sudden found new names for God. And when we come to the New Testament, we have, those who call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved the Lord has revealed in Jesus Christ ask Jesus into your life and you'll be saved and this is what we're talking about it's it's, it's an ideal that translates right across the spectrum of old into new into our lives right now call upon the Lord he is your safety and your refuge the ideal citizen doesn't isolate themselves they call upon God they don't run into the little hole call upon God. But in contrast, in verse 11, the rich man's wealth is his strong city and like a high wall in his own esteem. Before destruction, the heart of a man is haughty and before honor is humility. Now the contrast, and again, this is an antithesis, an antithetical saying where all of a sudden the person who trusts in their wealth it's not like the person who calls upon the lord you know there's numerous cross references here with with jesus when he talks to the rich young ruler and then the rich young ruler says oh i can't do all that i can't sell all my money you know it's just just, just not gonna work and then he says well you know jesus says how hardly are those who are rich are going to go into heaven and then all of a sudden the disciples said well, who can be saved then you know we've given up everything he says and you've given up everything i want you to give up the truth is it's not saying that people should never have money. We all know that. I think hopefully we all know that. It's like saying it's, we should never trust in the money. That's why it says the rich man thinks it's his, highest, it's his high wall. It's his city. It's a, I, my money will get me out of everything. And again, as we look back to the, the previous verses, rich people pay people off so that they don't go to jail. So that they have an easier life. It's easier to just pay people off, and as we get to the last verse, and just have a load of fake friends, than a gathering of genuine friends. Because that's, that's what we're heading to. In contrast to the person central to the text, which is the person who relies upon God. They may even have money. They may be poor. The bottom line is they rely upon God. When you see this all throughout the Bible, none of the people of God ever relied on their wealth. And that's why it's a continuous theme. Now I won't get into the whole ideas that many people say that the wealth and prosperity ministry and all the rest of it. That aside, I think most people know. But the bottom line is, is that wealth is not the security people think it is. <clears throat> you can only buy so much. You know, and that's why it says before destruction, you know, and with these people you can only go so far before all of a sudden people figure it out, and people tire of you, and all of a sudden that wall comes collapsing in on you. There comes a situation you can't buy yourself out. and that's why i said destruction humility is the key to not being lost 13 14 and 15 he wants as a matter before he hears it he hears it it is folly and shame to him the spirit of a man will sustain him in sickness but who can bear a broken spirit The heart of the prudent acquires knowledge and the ears of the wise seeks knowledge again as we look at what we've just said you know as we look back to the person who's now eating the trifles and he's heard the words he says he who has judged a matter answers a matter before he hears it is a it's a foolish thing to do we come back to the fool oh yeah, 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 that's funny, yeah, 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 sure. I'm with you, you know, and they haven't heard the other side of the story, you know, I, I work with children, and so I know you've got to hear both sides of the story, and you've got to get some more witnesses as well, said, like, I, I, I heard your side, I heard your side, who else saw it, <laughs> <coughs> trust me, you've got to find out, and before you know it, you might have a, something of a picture, but you cannot take the first kid that runs up to you and t- seriously, you know because more times you're actually defending the wicked one. (laughs) They started it, and now they can't handle it, and they're coming to you. And now it's all like a fire, and you have to try and contain it, you know. You're both on timeout, that's as far as I'm concerned, you know. But that's the reality of it. We shouldn't make any judgments, and it's hard to do. And this is why, again, probably one of the better things of, of our British justice system is that certain things are never told to the media so that we, start, we don't start being judged by the sun or the mirror. And they start shaping public opinion. And then before you know it, it makes jury selection that much more harder because they've already got opinion of who's in the right and who's in the wrong. Because one person's got a that they can get their story around everywhere. Whereas the victim doesn't there's supposed to be inequality and this is where it goes back to the courtroom as well but obviously we can see how this works in our individual lives about judging matters before we've actually heard them out take time to listen to what people really have to say hear another opinion get another perspective, more times it's because it's patience you really need and that's what we lack You don't have the time to actually listen and wait to hear some other perspectives. You're already off on some foolhardy mission to try and save the world based on one piece of information. You know and this is where it says in the, again this links back to the man the righteous man the righteous person who now is trusting God and it's a text about fortitude in verse 14 where the spirit of a man will sustain him And it's talking about a person who's going through tough times remember I told you about the chiastic structure about how we go through tough times to go through good times and how the Bible shows us that especially the Old Testament that we have to go through these troughs and peaks this is what it's about he's saying that in those tough difficult times where it's hard to get justice like David he again he writes all these psalms about going through tough times and waiting for the justice of God this is what this is talking about is that the righteous person within the midst of it waits upon God their spirit will sustain them you know there's other really great parallels about even like a person who is ill even in a coma where the doctors will tell you that well if they've got a strong if they've got a strong will to live they will kind of it will help you more than if the person Is basically going home to debt, Um, you know, no children, no wife, no husband, no, no dog, no cat, do you know what I mean? Whatever it might be, if there's nothing, if there's no desire to live, that person will not want to get better. Even in their unconscious state, there will just be no propensity for them to go, all right, I really want to get better. The person who is armed with this kind of fortitude will be able to be sustained through difficult periods. But a broken spirit, it says, if you got to the point where you are hopeless, and no believer is without hope, no true believer is without hope. And this is what you've got to understand. Every believer has been given hope. And this is why it can't really refer to somebody who doesn't believe in God. This is the person that runs into God. The spirit of a man, the spirit of a person will sustain them through difficult circumstances. Even when they're in justice, even when they're in prison for something they didn't do. I preached the gospel and now I'm in prison. The spirit of that man that God has got in his hand will sustain them in difficult circumstances. And it says the heart, again, talking about the man who, the person who stands in the midst of God, who runs into God, whose, whose fortitude is held up, whose spirit is not broken. It says the heart of the prudent acquires knowledge and the ear of the wise seeks knowledge. Again, contrasting to the person that makes rash decisions. person who hasn't got patience to hear all the sides of the story. They wait and they see to try and gather all the information they can in before they make any judgment. You know, some of our more astute shoppers here do this probably all the time. Shop around for a bargain. Don't just buy the first thing you see, you know. As the old Song says, you know, shop around. Got to find yourself a bargain, son. Don't be sold on the very first one. But that's the whole idea. Gather in as much information as you can. Seek knowledge. Be prudent. Be real, realize that people will shape their stories according to their own experiences. Sometimes, no fault of their own. They're not trying to exaggerate, but they will. Read around those things. And that's what it is. A, it takes patience you've got to take time to do that and it's not hard it's not hard when you do it all the time because we're not jumping to uh, our own judgments anymore we're not listening to gossip anymore We're we're hearing everything from every angle this is the good citizen within the ideal society this is what they do A man's 16, 17, and 18, and 19. A man's gift makes room for him and brings him before great men. The first one to plead his cause seems right until his neighbor comes and examines him. Casting lots causes contentions to cease and keeps the mighty apart. A brother offended is harder to win than a strong city, and contentions are like the bar's of a castle. Now, obviously, this is dealing with the courtroom. Now, interesting enough, let me let me just kind of put this out there. So I remember when I taught this last year, it was in, this was this got a lot of R's. But verse 16, a man's gift makes for it. How many people now, looking at the context, think this is actually a good thing? Put your hands up. Because we all think it's about somebody being so talented that all of a sudden they will stand before someone who will notice them, right? Okay, when we look a little bit further as this is examined in in nineteen verse six, he says, "Many entreat the favor of the nobility, and every man is a friend to one who gives gifts." Do you know what these gifts are? It's called bribes. People are now paying and asking for people to, they're giving a gift so that they can get in first and start talking to the judge or start talking to the person who's judging the matter and they're now starting to kind of get them on side. So, have you seen how Proverbs knits together? About people who are talking at times when they shouldn't be talking, before the case has really been heard. This is what he's talking about. They're giving their gifts so that they can get and see an audience. And obviously when you think of the courtroom and obviously to sit in front of Solomon or one of his high officials, it's a big deal. It's not the kind of thing you can show up on the day and get that. But obviously if somebody comes along and says, look, here's a one can I get me in today? Someone is like saying, I'll see what I can do. This is what they're saying. And so all of a sudden, now that person has got the upper hand because he's hoping that the person who he's going to talk to is just as bent as he is. Because now they're going to start to judge the matter. And before the other person's even come up, they are already said, ah, to jail, or pay back everything, I don't care, or go to jail, we're going to take everything, we're going to repossess everything. This is what they're hoping for. And this is, again, the duplicity of a, of a person who is trying to seemingly help themselves. And this is where we start to see it turns from the chaotic structure now to the person who's now trying to buy people off, trying to buy friends. From the fool who isolates themselves, the tide is now turning to people who are ready to buy friends, to be on their side. and this is why it says in verse 7 the first one to plead his cause seems right you know until his neighbor comes and examines him now obviously we're envisioning a a perfect court system which doesn't allow a judgment to be made until both sides have been properly heard but at the same time it also is in view that both sides have not been properly heard so it's accounting for both that which is ideal and that which is obviously a twisted justice system. It goes into the point where it says that it comes to a point in verse eighteen where some matters and this is where we've got to understand the context of what this was, of, of what it means to cast lots, there were some matters that because they couldn't be decided, because both cases were so tight that they had to what they do cast lots. Say if it was over a piece of land and someone says, this, is, this part is mine and that part is mine and the other ones go, this part was mine. It will come to the point where casting lots will be the fairest thing to do. If you can envision, it's probably not the greatest example, but the whole idea, a football match has to start with a toying cost. A cricket match has to start with a toying cost because who's going to go first or who's going to hold the ball first? And that's what it is. Some things just have to be decided because the bottom line is, is that you need to start from a clean, uh, from somewhere which is seemingly fair. And casting lots was the last choice when there was no other information to help people. And it was to prevent what we see hopefully in verse 19, which is that brothers offended is it's hard. You know, because it says it keeps the mighty apart. And hopefully people will look at the casting of lots or the, the, the the chance of tossing a coin as being the fairest thing somebody can do to resolve a matter. And that's what it says, is that if it's so close, don't do that. But the bottom line is that you can still end up offending somebody, saying, no, 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 I'm not accepting that. You know? That was not fair as far as I'm concerned. And then it says, that person is very hard to win back now. Because if somebody, if two people walk out, one person feeling like, yeah, I got justice. And the other person thought, no, that wasn't injustice. It's saying, that person's very hard to win back now. And now we look back to verse 1. And all of a sudden, we're going to find someone who's really now prepared to isolate themselves. Ah, there's no justice in this place. Ah, I've had it done with these people. Rubbish. And listen to anybody. Anybody will listen. Any yes person will be around. he will be like, but you know, and you see this, and this, is, this whole system is just rank. Rubbish. Not, don't, no part of it. I'm going, I'm leaving, I'm going to another country, whatever. But the bottom line, this is what it said. That person is hard to win. But again, we see this in the New Testament where it says that he who wins a soul is wise. It's not saying it's impossible. People have broken into castles with bars of iron. They just have to be tactical. Some of them have done it without using ballistics on arrows and fire. People have just snuck in underneath and sometimes that's what it is, it means winning a brother, especially someone who has prepared to isolate themselves, it means humbling yourselves and sometimes trying to find access so that you can try and win them back. Seeking them out. This is the the the, the, the basics of just using a phone call, using an opportunity to say, let's kinda let's try and resolve this. But it doesn't the ideal society doesn't like leaving people out on the fringes. It wants to do everything it can to bring everybody in. To the community. But it can only do it. The community is the people. It takes people to do that. Our community to do that. 20 and 21. Almost there. A man's stomach shall be satisfied from the fruit of his mouth. And from the produce of his lips. He shall be filled. Death and life are in the power of the tongue. And those who love it. Will eat its fruit. You know? What we say, how we conduct ourselves, you can see that within society, everything I've read, our speech is so important. The way we speak to one another, what we talk about is so important, and even what we don't talk about is so important. Again, revealing matters that we ought not to. Ought not to. Our speech. Is the way that we communicate with one another. That's why Solomon is saying it's so important that we watch the way we talk to one another. It's not a society that doesn't have a joke. It's not a society that just tries to be straight and clinical. It's a society that uses its speech wisely. It speaks to one another because he says that you will live by this. When we look in. Um, Jesus' Sermon on the Mount in Matthew 5, we see that he says, we will be judged for every idle word we speak. Our speech, even in Jesus' own testimony, is such an important way in which we live our lives. We will not get away with the things that we have said. Especially the ones we didn't even mean. The ones that, as we said earlier, the fool will deserve us blows. Our speech should be befitting. As Paul says, as Jesus says, as Solomon says, it is makes up our lives. As I said earlier, you are what you eat. You also are what you say. You know? Are we going to be like? the man who has got deep speech or the person with deep speech who we don't really, we can't really kind of nail down, are we going to be like a flowing brook of wisdom and, and life and truth that's supposed to flow out of us as believers? That's accessible. And I said, it's, that it's not about shying away from things that are hurtful. Truth is like that. Truth is difficult. And justice sometimes is difficult because you might find yourself on the other side of the justice system and that would be just. 22, 23 and 24. He who finds a wife finds a good thing and obtains favour from the Lord. The poor man uses entreaties but the rich answers Roughly. A man who has friends must himself be friendly, but there is a friend who sticks closer than a brother. You know, the view of verse 22, um, especially when you look at it in the context of verse 24, is that society needs people that are close to us. And that's why it starts at the pinnacle of a marriage. Marriage is the beginning of a family, of a new family within the society. And that's why it says, he who finds a wife finds a good thing. Society is made up of families. And that's why Solomon is now taking a look and saying, how do we avoid all this error? How do we avoid all this injustice? He says, start at a family. Start at the point where a man and a wife have got together. They now have children. They're now training that children in the fear of the Lord. And he's also found somebody who doesn't need to go and try and find friends to win over because they found a friend that sticks closer than a brother. They have a wife, they have somebody, they're not alone in life, they're not like the isolationist, they're not like the person with a shallow friend, they're the person who has a guaranteed relationship that is supposed to be for them and to secure them and to make them feel secure within society it begins with marriages, it doesn't begin with government, governments come from families too, churches and other institutions that make up society come from families, they had a mummy and a daddy somewhere, society is made up of good homes and that's why when you look at this he's talking about it from the the purest context when you go back to Genesis 2, when you find a person who can help them doesn't find a trophy wife or husband, doesn't find a rich wife or husband, doesn't try to find somebody who's just gonna placate to them when they find someone who can really help them. And this is what it says it's a difference between just finding somebody that pleases you, just finding somebody that just likes the things that you like, but finding somebody that can actually help you and integrate you into society and get you involved. families make the difference within a society and a good home and it all starts with a good marriage For those who are not married it's not the, it's not the end of the world but you are part of a family still we all are but that's what Solomon is saying it, all the society all the, 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 the potential starts from marriage just like it started at the beginning of the world. The poor man uses entreaties, but the rich answers roughly. And this is to come to the point where the confidence and the haughtiness of rich people come to the point where they feel so confident before they've even got anywhere near a court, or anywhere near, because they've already swayed, the wicked people that we tend to like, the people that we, we would listen to before anybody else people that we like to make into our heroes and heroines, I already feel that they have our confidence. And so they don't feel like they have to be nice. Sometimes they answer quite aggressively. The Simon Cowles of this world, for example. I don't have to be nice. Everybody likes me. Obviously nothing against Simon Cowell at all, but the bottom line is that when when their confidence and the cockiness of certain people come to the point where they don't really care what anybody says because they believe that they will always have a favourable hearing comes to the point where this scripture this text has some substance because poor people can't be like that they need to kind of humble themselves to be heard they can't be cocky, they don't have no money to go and get no bribes, to get no early hearings they just have to rely on my case is just. Hear me. That's difficult in a society that likes the wrong people. And it comes down to a man. This, is, this scripture, obviously, the last within 18 is a difficult one to interpret, but it's been interpreted many ways. But the bottom line is it, it can be interpret, uh, interpreted as a man who has friends must himself be friendly or as others, if you're a little your Bible's got an annotation, it will say, comes to ruin. Um, and basically that means that you will end up spending so much money, you have to put so much effort into maintaining all these friends, all these bribes that you put out, that basically you will end up losing your money. We see this in the, par- the, the parable of the prodigal son, where someone who has basically got to spend money to keep his friends around him, and this is what it's talking about. It's, again, it's a negative thing. The person who doesn't have to, the, you know, you can almost look at the, the man who isolates himself as probably being the fool, but also the poorer person who can't get justice and has decided to come onto the fringes of society. And this person, more of the richer person, who's got loads of friends because he's bought them and they're in their pocket. But this is what it's saying, is at the end of the day, you'll come to ruin because if not eventually, financially, but you definitely will come to ruin morally. Because you're now buying justice, which can't be bought. Justice is free for all. And the, the ideal society has justice within its heart. There must be justice. We can't just speak love. And that's why sometimes it's hard to hear the gospel on its flip side. The love of God has to be preached with the justice of God. Both of them are important to God. Not one trumps the other. Justice and love are essential. And like I said, there there is a friend that sticks closer than a brother. If you're honest with yourself our real friends not to say that people we can't have a friendly relationship with with many people but the bottom line is our real friends tend to be those people we can count on one hand the thick and the thin friends and this is what it says and that's why it begins and that's why it equates to the wife or the husband the person who sticks closer than a brother this is what society needs genuine people who have real relationships with people as not to the point where they can they judge their friends like well you're my friend they judge their friends with partiality they judge them with the same sense of justice and prudence that they're supposed to have and say you know what bruv you're wrong you shouldn't have done that you shouldn't have said that that's what it's saying justice is the core of that and it nurtures that relationship and makes it makes it viable, makes it profitable no yes men but real men real friends that's Proverbs 18 the ideal society the ideal citizen you are all those citizens you're citizens of of Great Britain and whatever countries we all come from but we're also citizens of this kingdom of God that's found in this church, and as as Pastor E has been teaching about the community, this so ties into the whole ideals of the community and what the community ought to be. The community that speaks truthfully to one another, a community that loves justice, a community that is fair, a community that doesn't allow isolation, doesn't support isolation. The community doesn't support making shallow friends, but real friends, real fellowship. This is what Solomon saw for Israel. And we also can see through this what Jesus had meant for the church as well. So be encouraged. That we are the community of God as well as the community of this nation and that we have a role to not be like the fool to not use our wealth unwisely but to know that our family our family of God our families at home is the heart and the place where real virtue has to begin our trying relationships amongst our friends and our family are there to help us in the caistic structure got to go through some bad things in order to get to some good place Amen? amen amen guys thank you